We're in Daniel chapter 8 this week, you guys. I'm Chris, by the way, if I haven't met you. Uh, the other elder and pastor here with Missy O'Day. Uh, we have some kids in here still. I know a bunch of them just went with Michael and Jessica, but we do have out in the little front there these clipboards with these worksheets to follow along with the teaching, with the message. And so it's got a little area to draw a picture about what you're hearing, these questions that we often ask ourselves as the adults in here. Who is God? What has he done for us? Who are we now in light of that? And how do we live? Uh, the spot to write down, like, these are some words I heard I didn't understand to talk to your parents about later. Or, really cool trick, you can just, like, turn it over and scrap all of that and draw whatever you want to draw. It works, too. So, adults, you can also doodle. So, check that out. Uh, we are in Daniel chapter 8. We've been going through one chapter of the book of Daniel each week. I had a meeting with some other local West Valley pastors Wednesday morning. And they were just sharing updates of what's going on. And they asked what we were doing this Sunday. And I said, we're going through Daniel. And it's our fourth Sunday, which means it's family worship, which means a lot of our children stay in with us. And they're like, well, what part of Daniel are you? And I said, chapter 8. And they're like, what's that chapter again? And I said, that's the one where he has that second dream about the ram and the goat. And they're like, wait, you're doing that? You're preaching on that? And I was like, yeah, it's in the Bible. And they're like, but like with kids in there too. And I was like, well, yeah. And they're like, we'll be praying for you. Um, and then some of them were jokingly like, I think I'm going to call in sick from our church Sunday and come and just see how you do that because I, I can't wrap my head around it. So all that to say, pray for me as I get the joy and the privilege of opening up with you this really weird dream that Daniel had in the chapter, the eighth chapter of Daniel. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. We'll pray for the Lord to come and just make his presence known with all of us to help us all see him more clearly and to hear his word, his address to us this morning, okay? Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning. We thank you for your word that you provided to us. We also thank you that your spirit, who has inspired that word, opens up our hearts and our minds to receive it and to even have understanding. And God, we pray that you would help us to trust you in the areas where we don't understand and that we would be transformed just by the hearing of your word. Uh, God, that you would be doing a work in each of our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. That we would be sent out of this place and into the, your city looking more and more like your son. And the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. We ask this. Amen? Amen. All right. So, eighth chapter. We are getting to two-thirds of the way done with the book of Daniel. First six chapters were narrative. It was like really cool, exciting, fun stories, being thrown into a den of lions and somehow miraculously being saved, being thrown into a, a fiery furnace and somehow miraculously saved. And then we get into chapter seven and it's starting to get into some weird dreams. But chapter seven, as I said last week, for me really and for many people is kind of the, the climax of the book of Daniel, right? And in many ways, it's a microcosm of the climax of the whole story of the world that we see throughout all of scripture. And now we get to continue on chapters eight through 12. And it's continuing with weird dreams, but the climactic scene is over and there's more and more questions being raised. And we'll find even at the end of this chapter, Daniel himself, even after the dream being explained to him, still ends by saying, and I did not understand. And that's probably how we're all gonna leave this place right now. But, one thing that's really cool is you can 
We, you know, I, I kind of just laid out how you could divide Daniel into two parts, like first six chapters narrative, second six chapters are dreams that he had during that time of that narrative. You could also look at it more, you could divide it in three different parts. It's Hebrew, Aramaic, and then back to Hebrew again. So chapter one and the first two verses of chapter two were in Hebrew, and it was Daniel saying, writing to the people of God, the people of Israel, this is what's happened. We've been brought into captivity, made slaves to another nation, Babylon, that does not worship our God. And then chapter two, now that they're in it, they're fully in Babylon, he's switched over to the Aramaic language because he's speaking now to everybody there in Babylon with him, right? And the world power that's in charge is using the language of Aramaic. So that's what everything is written in all the way through chapter seven. Now chapter eight switches back suddenly to Hebrew. It's almost as if here's what everybody needed to know, but now let's go into a little more depth with the people of God. This is what we want the people of God to know now. And so chapter eight, this dream Daniel has is very similar to the dream we saw him have two years ago. For us, it was last week in chapter seven, but this dream takes place two years later and it's almost a very similar dream, but there's some more detail that Daniel starts to get. It's kind of like when you get to zoom out of something and get a more full picture in a sense. So I have, a, I have an image up here. I wanna see if you guys can tell me what this image is. Kids, adults, just shout out something, whatever you think that might be. Staircase, what was that? Eyeball of a what? Of a lion, that's very specific, okay. What else? A crow. Any other guesses? A ram, that's because you know that's in chapter eight. Good deductive reasoning, okay. Let's zoom out a little bit. Let's get a little bit more of the picture. What do you think now? Tiger, hired hawk, what else? A lion, hyena, someone said a train I thought I heard earlier. I don't know. All right, let's zoom all the way out. I think you guys are starting to get the picture. Carolyn, good job. You get to help yourself to a donut in the back there. We started looking at the eyeball of a lion there. It's kind of an abstract artwork there of a lion. But yeah, it's, it's much easier when you get the full picture, right? And in a sense, the book of Daniel has been doing this for us. We, we get more and more of the picture as we go. And as he now switches back into Hebrew, into the language of God's people, he's going to give them a more fuller picture of what he's been seeing and what God has been revealing to him, even though he doesn't fully understand it himself yet either. And in a way, that's, that's reading all of scripture. Really, that's all of life following after Jesus is we're getting just more and more of the picture as we go. And each day we're like, okay, I get a little bit more, but I still don't understand if we're really honest with ourselves, right? And so we're praying just for more insight and understanding this morning. And so turn with me, if you will, Daniel chapter 8. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. And so beginning in verse 1, again, this is two years after Daniel's dream in chapter 7, which took place in the first year that King Belshazzar was in power. Do you guys remember King Belshazzar? Chapter uh, 5, I believe it was, we were introduced to him. There was, God shows up and writes something on the wall with his own hand, and it freaks him out. 
he wets his pants and he goes pale. Yeah, it's true, Lillian, it happened. And then he's killed that night. Like the message is, you've been weighed and found wanting. You don't measure up. You aren't fit to be king. I'm appointing someone else to come in and take over. And so we got just a small little glimpse of him. But now Daniel, the book of Daniel, has kind of gone, uh, in a sense, back to the future. He's going back and saying, okay, now let me tell you about these dreams I had during the reign of Belshazzar. And there were dreams of what would happen in the future, ironically. So here we go. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. He's talking about chapter seven's dream. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ule Canal. And stop right there, two verses in, okay? I know what you're thinking, this is gonna take, this is gonna be a long morning, but I wanna stop right there because have you ever had like that one uncle who at Thanksgiving is telling stories and like, yeah, you know, it was like uh, about five years ago, I was meeting with, oh, was it five years ago or was it four years ago? Fran, Fran, when did, was that six years ago? You know, and you're like, it doesn't matter. That's an irrelevant detail. Please go on with the story. Just give me the point, right? Like that could be what this is happening is typically how I would read that. But like, all right, I don't care that you were in Susan, uh, Susa, the Citadel, which is in the province of, like, tell me about your dream, right? There's a point to Daniel penning this. There's a reason he's telling you where this takes place. And there's probably a whole lot more behind what I've been able to discover. But one thing that I think is very significant, and in this Susa that he mentions, or another translation that is on, this actually happens to be the same place about a century later, about 100 years later, where we see the story of Esther transpire. Do you guys know the story of Esther? Esther, who goes to the king on the people of Israel's behalf, because they're all going to be killed. And she goes and she petitions to save her people. But you know what she does before that? She calls up her uncle Mordecai, and she tells him, Go tell all of God's people to pray and to fast. That's where she starts. She sees great, imminent danger. You guys need to read this, the book of Esther. Great, imminent danger. We need to pray to our God. Do you remember how Daniel started? When Daniel finds out in chapter 2 that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream and nobody could tell him what it meant. And so he gets so angry, he says, we're going to kill all the wise men and magicians and all those people. And that includes Daniel and his friends. What does he do? He goes back to his friends first and he says, pray and fast with me. This is significant. I don't know about you guys, but when something I'm faced with in life seems pretty big, my first flinch, my knee-jerk gut reaction is to try to solve the problem. It's to try to figure stuff out and strategize. Maybe to ask around and find people smarter than me. It doesn't take long to find them. But is our first reaction to pray 
to recognize we, this is beyond us. We don't have control in this situation, which is the reality of all of life. We just have this illusion of control most of the time when things are going well. But the second we see things are not going well or have the potential to not go well, suddenly we're faced with this reality that we are not in control. And we need to go to the one who is in control. We need to cry out to the God who hears us, who listens, and who is available, who steps down out of the clouds and actually stoops down and places his hand on us, or as we read in the psalm this morning, encircles us, the God who shows up. We've been saying all along throughout this book that Daniel's not the hero of the story. True. Who's the hero of the story? The Lord is, right? God is. Esther is not the hero of her story either. But if there's any reason we could call these people heroes of the faith, so to speak, it's because of this one thing. It's because when they are faced with something, they recognize right away, I'm not the hero. I cannot solve this, and I need to go to the one who can. Amen? Listen, we need to be a people of prayer. You and I, Maybe we're not faced with this same imminent danger of of a king, a tyrant coming after us to kill us. But whatever it is you are facing in life, can I just tell you, you you cannot handle it. You don't have power over it. You don't have control. But you know someone who does. Are you going to him? I want to invite us to like, let's, let's, make a radical shift in the way we act like the church. And let's start with just prayer. Prayer and fasting even. We've had available on Sunday mornings, not even an extra day out of your week, Sunday mornings, let's come and pray in here at 9 a.m. We haven't done that in a long time. It's not because it hasn't been available anymore. It's because we never show up to do it. And a lot of us, listen, this is not to shame you guys, because most of you are showing up early anyway, and you're working, and you're setting stuff up. And there's this sense, there's this reality that, like, well, if I don't set up the chairs, where are we going to sit, right? If I don't set up the sound, how are we going to hear? If I don't set up the signs, who's going to know who we are, right? If I don't set up the snack table, how are we going to have caffeine and stay awake during Chris talking? And there's this reality we have of like, well, if we don't do this stuff, it's not going to work. And we need to have that same sense of urgency with if we don't pray, if we don't go to the Lord, none of this matters. Amen? And so here, I'm willing to do this. I'll show up four hours early instead of two hours early. I'll set everything up. You guys keep coming whatever time you're coming early to do your stuff and just pray. Deal? If you want to come a little earlier so I don't have to come four hours early, (laughs) I'd really appreciate it. But I mean it. That's how important this is. And so what I want to do, two verses in, how many verses do we have? Do you guys want to go to lunch today? Two out of 27 verses in. Let's stop because if we don't have time to get to it, that's okay. I don't want to just talk about prayer. Let's pray. I know, especially if you're visiting right now, like this could seem really weird right now, but this is what God's people do. And so what we're gonna do is for the next couple minutes, just circle up with some people and start praying. 
If you aren't sure where to go, somebody who is more comfortable with praying out loud, just like throw a hand up so people know, okay, I can go over there and I can just listen to them and that's okay too. And I could be in agreement, okay? So we're gonna do that. Ready, go. If I'm cutting you off, trust that the Lord hears you. God, we know that we are in need of you. We believe that you are the one who is in control. We pray you help our unbelief. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So when those other pastors this week were like, so how are you going to do that? How are you going to preach through Daniel chapter 8? It's very confusing, you know. And I said, simple, I'm going to kill a lot of time by breaking it up in circles and having them pray. And then we're going to read the rest and go, sorry, we're out of time. So here we go. Just kidding. Or am I? Continuing in verse 3, Daniel's been in his dream transported somewhere. A pivotal place where God has rescued his people because they have gone to him in trust and prayer. Verse 3, Daniel writes, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. This is called a unigoat. It's like a unicorn and a goat. Verse 6. Sorry, you could do without my commentary. Verse six, he came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. This is the ram that no one else had any power against, now has no power against the goat. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power, being the goats. Verse 8. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. This is a Hebrew person writing this down to a Hebrew people in the Hebrew language, what do you think the glorious land is? Yeah, Israel, right? Jerusalem probably. Toward the glorious land. Verse 10, it grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ule, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. 
So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time at the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. This is God's word. Go in peace. All right. Some interesting things here. I want to read that all the way through because what's really cool is we don't have to guess on some of it, right? This messenger from God named Gabriel, sound familiar, shows up and he actually starts laying some of it out. And he calls out this ram represents the kingdoms of Media and Persia. This goat represents the kingdom of Greece. Do you remember we were talking about before when we had that statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, like the head we were told definitely represents Nebuchadnezzar. And then we had to kind of like guess on the rest, right? You know where a lot of that guesswork came from? Daniel's told, right? Chapter seven, Daniel gets this dream about these four beasts and we're like, okay, this is pretty much what we think these represent. The lion represents, just like the, the gold head of the statue represents Nebuchadnezzar. It was, uh, he was just like the lion in the dream, was like a beast and yet God gave him his mind back and he became like a human again, right? And that's what we're told in the dream. And then we were kind of guessing from there, right? But here we're told flat out what these two beasts represent. So in chapter 8, this ram with two horns is also likely that bear that shows up in the dream in chapter 7. That bear with three ribs in its mouth because the Medes and Persians took over three other kingdoms to gain their might, their military power before they confronted Babylon, right? This ram has two horns representing the Medes and the Persians and their, their alignment together to become one powerhouse, Interestingly enough, the rulers of the Persians, when they would show up to battle, they would wear the head of a ram, okay? And they have the smaller horn that comes up first. The Medes were, were the first to develop as a, a powerhouse, a, a powerful military force. They joined teams with the Persians who were smaller at first but ended up becoming that larger horn that grew up later. They ended up becoming a much mightier power than the Medes, 
And then there's this goat that appears, which we think also connects with that weird beast with the four heads and the wings in chapter seven's dream, which shows us that Greece is going to come after the Medes and the Persians. So King Belshazzar is king right now. This is the third year of his reign when Daniel's having this dream. We know from chapter five that when, the, when God's hand shows up, starts writing on the wall, it's the Medes and the Persians that come in and they kill Belshazzar and they take the kingdom of Babylon that night, right? We know that's the next kingdom to come. This hasn't happened yet at the point of Daniel's dream. But think back to that chapter when we were there. Daniel's the one who finally comes out and tells Belshazzar what the writing on the wall means. And he tells him, this kingdom's being taken from you. At this point, he's already had this dream we just read. Like he's known for years now that this is coming because God has revealed it to him. You know, he's going into that where Belshazzar just soiled himself, just wet his pants because he's so scared. And Daniel, he's already been told. He's got nothing to fear anymore. So he tells him, your kingdom's being taken away from you. We see that play out. But what Daniel never saw, what comes much later in the future for him, is that Greece, this kingdom of Greece, would come and do the same thing to the Medes and Persians. No human kingdom lasts forever, right? Alexander the Great builds this huge, incredible military force. And he, like that goat, is pursuing things on every direction to build an empire. And he is coming with full force and just steamrolling and taking over. He's most likely this big horn we see on that goat's head. And yet, Alexander the Great, his life was cut short. And it it wasn't by someone else overthrowing him or a human who killed him to take his throne. He, He died of some type of sickness. You know, and we read in this that the goat, the horn of the goat was cut down not by human hands, but it's God himself taking his kingdom away from him. And interestingly, Alexander the Great then, on his deathbed, instead of appointing a king in his place, what he does is he says, let the strong fight over it. And four of his generals split up his kingdom in every direction. This is historical We read it in Daniel's dream. It was prophecy for him. It's historical for us now. Four generals of Alexander the Great divide up his kingdom. Remember we saw in the dream these four horns grow up in place of the big one, right? But one of them, one of them was distinct from the others. One of them actually started coming after the promised land, the holy land, the beautiful land. And so there's one particular general who was over Syria and there's the kingdom of Egypt. You know what's in between there is Israel and he starts moving toward the beautiful land in Daniel's dream. He starts moving toward to take that over. And actually it was that general was, ended up being killed and the one who came after him was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. You guys ever heard of that before? Like, reach back into the deep recesses of your minds in history class in maybe seventh grade, I don't know. I might be off on the grade level. But Antiochus Epiphanes, his actual name was not Antiochus. I don't remember what it was, but his father was Antiochus, so he took that name when he came into power. And then he actually added Epiphanes on the end of that, which means the illustrious one or the glorious one. 
right? He, he also would sometimes call himself Theos Antiochus Epiphanes. God Antiochus, the glorious. What are we told about this horn that, that shows up on this goat's head? That is actually talking against the one true God and claiming to be in the place of God. That this God, we're told in chapter, or this horn, sorry, would, would move in to the beautiful land and start desolating, bringing an abomination into the temple. And it was under the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes that actually that very thing happened. He goes into the Jewish temple, the Jerusalem temple, and he sets up an idol to Zeus in place of it. And he slaughters a pig, which I don't know if you know this, that's not kosher. That was not acceptable for the Jewish people. Slaughters a pig as an offering to Zeus in the temple to the God of Israel. It's, it's an abomination to them. He's desecrating it. He is very purposefully and intentionally coming against the God of Israel and saying, no, 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 I'm in charge here now. And so we have all this history and we can relate it to Daniel chapter eight. And then we get all the questions though, right? Again, Daniel, he, he gets this stuff explained, but then it says at the very end, but I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. That word understand is brought up several times. The, the voice of the Holy One speaking says to Gabriel, his messenger, make him understand. And he still comes out of the dream going, I don't understand. Does anybody else feel like going that way through life sometimes? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. My oldest son, Jonas, I pray for patience for him because he'll, like, he'll ask me something and I'll start explaining it. He's like, I don't get it. I'm like, you didn't even let me finish. That's why you don't get it. Just hold on. All right, so let's start over. Let me draw you a diagram. I, don't, I just don't get it. And that's kind of Daniel at the end of this dream. He's like, I just don't get it still. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's bothering me. This is weird stuff. Because then we start hearing words like uh, this vision at the end of verse 17. Gabriel says, is for the time of the end. What? Which is why so many people have taken Daniel 8 and we plucked that and we've moved it and dropped it over into our category of revelation and gone, this is for the end times. God's giving Daniel a vision that has something to do with when one day the world's going to blow up, but Jesus is going to come and save us out of it, right? We, we have a whole doctrine and theology built around that. That if you've been part of Missio for a while, you might, you might know, might have already been offended by me saying, I don't think that's true. Because Gabriel's telling him, look, you got, two, you got two animals in this dream. You got two images in this dream. Both of them have already gone in our time, haven't they? The kingdom of the Medes and Persians, the kingdom of the Greeks, they're not in power anymore. Is, is this really for Daniel to have a dream that's something that's going to happen thousands and thousands and thousands of years later when he's not around? No, no, no. The question, if we remember, there is a question in verse 13. For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? How long is this going to happen? You said there's this one of the four horns that's going to take away all the rituals that we do to our God. 
How long is this going to take place, right? And he says, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. I love the way he says that. It's like many moons from now. For 2,300 evenings and mornings. And then the sanctuary will be restored to its rightful state. And that's why Gabriel says, listen, this is for, it's the vision for the end of this time that you've been told about. And this time is already come and gone for us. All right, so I just want to lay that out there to remove all this fear that often comes around end times prophetic teaching. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there isn't a day coming where there will be an end to every human kingdom. In fact, that's exactly what we're going to find. And that Jesus, the true king over everything, will come and put an end to all those false kingdoms. That's what we're told in Nebuchadnezzar's dream with the statue. Do you remember that statue? If we get this image back up, there's one thing I didn't talk about. In chapter 2, in that dream, there is a rock that comes hurtling at the statue from heaven. And it crushes that final kingdom down at the bottom. And then it causes the whole statue to fall over. And the whole thing is just obliterated. And it's blown away like chaff in the wind, like those kingdoms were never there. And that stone represents the kingdom of God, which then grows into a mountain and lasts forever. This is the good news. All these kingdoms in Daniel's dream, all these brute forces that we're hearing about, all these abominations and desolations, all this weird stuff is going to come to an end one day. That's the good news. Who's interpreting the dream for him? What's the messenger's name? Gabriel, do you remember any other times throughout the story of the Bible, the story of the world, when Gabriel shows up? Give me one. Yeah, he gives a message to Mary. He also gives a message to who? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah. He gives a message to Elizabeth and her husband that you're going to have a son named John, who's John we call the Baptist. He's preparing the way for his cousin, Jesus to come on the scene. He gives a message to Mary, you are going to have a child, and this is the one who is the prince of princes, the king of kings. On his shoulders lies the government of the whole world. The good news is that there is a government that will last forever, that is good, and it's coming through Jesus. It's the kingdom of God, and all these other kingdoms will fall. Gabriel shows up always to give good news, and the same thing's happening in this dream. Daniel is perplexed by it. He's having a hard time. His stomach's hurting. And he says, I don't understand. But what he just got in that dream was good news. Because even the strongest horn gets cut off. Even the strongest beast, that goat, gets cut down. There is another kingdom coming. Amen? This is a good news dream that Daniel gets. And I, I want to talk again just about that end time stuff because a lot of times I'm around people who get so fearful and caught up in talking about the end times and this tribulation that's going to come. Listen, Jesus is coming back, the good king. His kingdom will reign forever. That's good news. It's nothing to fear. It's not something we got to go run and hide for. If you are with Jesus, that's good news. Jesus is king. One day, all the world will hear it. Even Kanye West made an album about it. <laughs> By the way, I'm not even playing right now. It's a phenomenal album. If you guys haven't heard it, like, I am no judger of a man's soul, 
But when I hear it, I go, I think this dude really knows Jesus is king now. And if, if someone like that, who <laughs> kind of like the horn in this dream, was so blatantly arrogant, calling himself a God, he did, has now been transformed in such a way where he's saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm a God over nothing. Jesus is king over everything. This is a powerful king that we have. This is a powerful kingdom that will be established. This is a powerful God that we serve. In Matthew 24, Jesus references this idea of this abomination of desolation. It's going to come up again in chapter 9. We'll talk about it again next week in more detail. But a brief preview for you. Matthew 24, Luke 21, you find a similar story. Jesus is saying, listen, that thing that you heard about in Daniel... When that abomination of desolation comes again, because the thing about prophetic words is there's often layers to it. History repeats itself, right? We saw an abomination happen with Antiochus. Jesus starts warning his disciples about another one to come in the year 70 AD after Jesus is gone, where many of his disciples are still alive. Rome lays siege to the temple in Jerusalem. And it's so bad. Like they cut off their water supply, their food supply, and they're attacking. And it's so bad that there are stories of people having to eat one another because they're starving. It's an abomination. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 24 says, listen, it would be better if you didn't have children because those are the stories as they're eating their children. He says, don't, when that day comes, I know we got kids in here right now. When that day comes, he goes, don't, don't go back and get your stuff. Just flee to the mountains. This is a, a beastly kingdom of Rome that is coming after you. But when the day comes when the King Jesus arrives, do you think Jesus' advice to us is go run to the mountains? Do you think his advice is to flee? No, 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 in fact, we are told that the saints, those who are in Jesus, will actually come up to greet him as king. We will be so excited because we have a new king who reigns forever and who rules justly and perfectly and graciously. And his kingdom will never end. It's a weird dream we just read about. There's some weird stuff we just heard about. Some of it is like the stuff of nightmares. The good news is, it's all coming to an end, and there is a new beginning. Jesus is making all things new. He is restoring all things on earth for his kingdom. That's the hope that we hold out for. That's the hope that we long for. And I just want to end with this, that Daniel, even though he's perplexed, even though he still doesn't understand everything, what does it say he does? He gets up, verse 27. I'm in the wrong chapter suddenly. I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose up and I went about the king's business. Which king? Yeah, it's a lowercase k king, right? Belshazzar, he's in service to the king. That's his job. I love what, Anthony, you were sharing. Like, I heard this conversation going on but I wasn't gonna stop my job 
of educating these students. I'm trusting God's in control over that conversation happening there. And Daniel does a similar thing. I have a job and I'm doing it for the glory of God. And right now it's even to serve this king who does not know my God and who does not honor him. I'm gonna do it with honor and glory to my God though. And I'm gonna trust that all this weird stuff I don't understand this dream, God is ultimately in control. Pray with me that we would have that same trust.